Father God, thank you for your word, uh, that it is powerful to save. Uh, Please would it save tonight and encourage us uh, who love you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. What is Jesus worth to you? If your whole life was laid out before yourself and before someone else, before a whole crowd, would they be able to see that Jesus is worth everything to you? Would they see that Jesus is what your life is built upon? Or would they see that Jesus is important, but that you spend your time, your money, your service mostly on other things? We know that Jesus should be everything to us. We know that we should live for him fully and give him our whole hearts. But so often we love ourselves or other things more than we do Jesus. There are many reasons for this, but one of the reasons is that we're all insecure. So we consciously or unconsciously search for security in many other places. Our insecurities will be different from each other. I love to be in control, so I'll plan and plan and plan. And if the plan goes wrong, I'll feel insecure because I'm out of control. We'll do everything we can to cover up these insecurities, but deep down we all crave security. So that might be job security or financial security. It might be physical security or relational uh, relational security. Or wanting to be absolutely emotionally secure with with those closest to you. And those earthly securities start becoming central to our lives. But there's one security that is far more important than all of those, and that's eternal security. There's no point, frankly, to earthly security if we're just going to die. And through Jesus, our eternity can be made secure. That is good news. Through Jesus, our eternal security is safe and will be with him forever in heaven. This isn't to say that earthly security is necessarily a bad thing. But what do our hearts want more? Security here and now or security with Jesus forever in heaven? If Jesus is worth everything to us, then we will serve him with joy. But when we start living for earthly security more than Jesus and eternal security, then serving Jesus can can feel like a waste and a bit of a chore. Why serve Jesus when I can get more money? Why serve Jesus when I could relax at home? When we're not fully living for Jesus, then living for Jesus can feel like a waste. Yet the more you see how great Jesus is and how amazing eternal security is, then the more you'll see that serving Jesus is not a waste. In fact, it's the best thing you can do. So firstly, we see tonight that serving Jesus is not a waste. Serving Jesus is not a waste in verses 1 to 11. So Mark sets the scene for us in verse 3. Jesus is in this town called Bethany, reclining at the house of this guy Simon the leper. They're all together, we don't know how long for, And all of a sudden, this woman comes in with this big jar of of perfume. You can imagine all the conversation stops. And the eyes of all the people are watching her as she gets closer and closer to Jesus. 
What is she doing? She breaks the jar and pours it all over Jesus. The smell of the perfume would have filled the whole room. We're told it's an alabaster jar of expensive perfume made of pure nard. This would have had to be imported all the way from, uh, from India. And it ends up on Jesus' head and all over the floor. You don't have to be a perfume expert to know that this was expensive. It just sounds expensive. And what's the response of the people around? Well, look down there in verse 4. Those around said, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. But why? What's she done wrong? Well, this jar of perfume would probably have been this woman's dowry or or a treasured family heirloom. So in the eyes of the people present, what she's just done is stupidly thrown away her future financial security. All the plans she would have had for the future are being soaked away into the soil. She's not just wasted the perfume, but she's wasted her life. Now, if she had just come in with the jar, put the jar of perfume down, poured out a small teaspoonful and poured that over Jesus' head, I think she would have been applauded. You've given something of your most prized possession to Jesus. We can appreciate that. That's good service. But the whole jar, her life security, what is she doing? What those around her don't understand is the value of Jesus and his imminent death. And Jesus breaks through these rebukes down there in verse 6. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. You see, what this woman has done is far more than just break a jar of perfume over Jesus' head. She surrendered her social security by being scorned by all the people around her. She's given up her personal and financial security along with any plans and ambitions for the future that she may have had. But she was prepared to pay this cost of service. And Jesus says, she has done a beautiful thing to me. Her service was not a waste, it was beautiful. We can easily come up with excuses not to serve Jesus, much like the people present. She could have sold the perfume and given the money to the poor. And Jesus says in verse 7, well, yes, she could have, but you'll always have the poor and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. There are so many good things we can do in life, like helping the poor. Jesus isn't saying here, don't help the poor. That's not what he's saying at all. No one cared more for the poor than Jesus did. But devotion to Jesus is far more important, especially while he was walking on the earth. And so of all the stories that could have ended up in the Bible, of the many people Jesus met with and spoke to and healed, Mark decides to record this story so that her service to Jesus lives on in the pages of Scripture, never to be forgotten. Her service was not a waste. 
Do you serve Jesus like this? Or would you have just poured out a small teaspoon of the perfume? What is Jesus worth to you? If we're honest with ourselves, serving Jesus can sometimes feel like a bit of a hard slog. And we can lose the love of service. You feel like no one really appreciates the service that you do. No one truly knows the service you do. And we can begin to feel like our our love for Jesus is just slipping away. Because service is hard, costly, and damaging to earthly security. All the hours you put in to prepare for youth work can feel like a waste because it feels like no one listens. All the effort you put in to tell your colleagues at work about Jesus can feel like a waste because you end up on the back foot, ignored and denied promotion opportunities. All the quiet service you do in the house for the family can feel like a waste because you're not thanked. But let me remind you of something so important. Jesus knows. Jesus knows the service you do. And it is not a waste. It is not a waste. Now sandwiched around this story, uh, we get verses 1 and 2 and verses 10 and 11. We've got Israel's leaders scheming to arrest and kill Jesus, Jesus and Judas going to betray Jesus to them. It's no accident that Mark has put these two stories next to each other. You've got this contrast between the woman's service and the betrayal of, of the leaders. You've got the woman pouring a year's wages over the head of Jesus, giving to Jesus, serving Jesus. And Judas taking a few coins for betraying Jesus. Judas has been with Jesus for three years now and no doubt would have seen some amazing, incredible things. But he has no heart to serve the king. His heart is on the money that he can get. There's a man who wanted financial security more than eternal security. And the teachers of the law, they should have known better as well. They were awaiting the promised Messiah and here he finally is. And they plot to kill him. They're the ones who are meant to anoint the king. They're the ones who are meant to serve him. Even the disciples still don't get it yet. But it's the woman who shows us what service to Jesus looks like. Now if the, if the story stopped there, then her service would be quite foolish, really. If the story had stopped there, then she's thrown away her security, she's thrown away her life. Judas has made a bit of a profit and has made friends with powerful people, and life is pretty good. If the story stopped there, then serving Jesus is not worth the cost. It's so much easier to put serving Jesus off than to actually serve him. Oh yes, I'll I'll pray later. And then later comes and we've forgotten to pray. It's so much easier to look out for yourself first and then give your leftovers to Jesus than to fully serve him. And if the story stops there, then why not? Just take your money, go home in comfort and, and put your feet up. Life is good. Don't waste your life on this Jesus. But the story does not stop there. The story continues and Jesus dies. He dies the most important death, the most valuable death in the history of time, the only death that still matters 2,000 years later because his is the only death that took the penalty not only for the sins of that woman 
but for the sins of us living here today. And even though he dies, his death is such good news that this act of anointing and a meal is remembered forever. And he doesn't stay dead, but rises again, defeating death, defeating sin, defeating the one thing that awaits all of us at the end of our lives. He is now alive, ruling and reigning and wanting us to be with him forever. And the thing is, this woman, she doesn't even know that yet. And she still pours everything out to Jesus. How much more should we, living after Jesus' death and resurrection, serve him? Jesus' death means he is the only one worthy of service. He is the only one who truly knows your service. Service for Jesus is not a waste. He calls it a beautiful thing. Now I've never given up time for Jesus, not that it's my time anyway, and come away from it wishing that I hadn't done so. When you serve Jesus, you're doing what you were created to do. And service in whatever form is not a waste because one day, one day you will be with Jesus securely forever. And he wants you to be with him. He makes a new covenant securing you safely forever with him for eternity. So secondly tonight, your eternity is secure. Your eternity is secure in verses 12 to 26. We're just moments away now from from Jesus' arrest and betrayal. But he takes the time with his disciples to celebrate this Passover meal. The Passover meal was established back in Exodus chapter 12 as a sign of remembrance of God's great rescue of his people from slavery in Egypt. And ever since the Exodus from Egypt, God's people have been celebrating this festival of unleavened bread. But this one is extra special as it's the last Passover meal that will ever need to be celebrated under the old covenant. That is, under the old way that God held a relationship with his people Israel. A covenant is simply an agreement between two parties. And this new covenant is what the whole Old Testament has been looking forward to. An agreement between God and humankind to restore our relationship with God and to fulfill the Old Testament covenant. Under the old covenant, repeated sacrifices had to be made and the people needed to obey the law and God would protect and bless his people. But that is all about to change. This meal they eat will be a sign of remembrance forever of the new covenant. And before it's even begun, we see that Jesus is fully in control and that this meal is all about him. Look down with me at verse 12. The disciples asked Jesus, Where do you want us to go to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? They seem to know that this is Jesus' meal. And Jesus is in control. He says in the next few verses, a man will meet you, he will show you a large room, and the disciples found things just as Jesus had told them. That's really important for this new covenant. Jesus is the one in control. Jesus is the author of it. And he is the one that invites us to join him. So this Passover meal begins. The second meal of tonight's passage. 
And they're sitting around this table. And just to make sure that the disciples don't start to think again of their own greatness, Jesus interrupts the meal in verse 18 saying, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. One of you who is eating with me. Now it's one thing to betray Jesus, but in Middle Eastern culture to insult the host of a meal who has shown you hospitality is just one of the biggest things you don't do. That's why the disciples are so distressed about this down there in verse 19. Surely you don't mean me. Surely it can't be me. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't just take away their fears, but increases them. It is one of the twelve. It is one who dips bread into the bowl with me. So what do we know about this betrayer from here? We've got four things. It is one of you, that is the disciples. It is one of you who is eating with me. It is one of the twelve. It is one who dips bread into the bowl with me. This doesn't narrow it down at all. But essentially Jesus is saying, it is one of you, my disciples, whom I have loved and shown kindness to and I'm now showing hospitality to, and you will betray me. The disciples' response of, surely you don't mean me, shows that they don't know who it is, and it could easily have been any one of them. And yet, in the very next moment, Jesus offers them this new covenant. He gives thanks for the bread and says, take, this is my body. He gives thanks for the drink and says, this is my blood of the covenant poured out for many. You'd think the disciples would get it now. This is Jesus pouring out his blood and beginning the new covenant. He is going to be a sacrifice for them. That they'd be on their knees saying sorry for mocking the woman earlier and start serving Jesus wholeheartedly now. But even though the scales haven't fallen from their eyes yet, Jesus still loves them and still has them with him in this meal. This is a monumental moment in the history of the world. No longer just for the Jewish people. This covenant is for many. We can join the covenant. Jesus is pointing them to his death, which will be a sacrifice for many. Unlike the limited sacrifices in the old covenant, which had to be repeated and repeated, this is a sign of the once and for all covenant and sacrifice. God's people, the Israelite nation, would have had this Passover meal in remembrance of God rescuing them from slavery in Egypt. But now we have the privilege of taking part in this meal that we call communion, which remembers not God's rescue from uh, his people from Egypt, but God's greater rescue from us from death. That includes you and me. We are the many his blood was poured out for. You are loved so much that you are made secure from death itself. God's people have been looking forward to this covenant for years. The prophet Jeremiah spoke of this covenant in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34, which says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. 
For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. This is not what we deserve at all. The promise in Jeremiah says that God's people kept breaking the covenant. So you'd expect God to say, that's it. We're done. No more covenants. But the promise is made. You will be God's people. And God is not in the business of breaking his promises. And now this new covenant is here. The waiting is over. The days have come. God is our God. We are his people. We are secure in his blood. Your sins can be forgiven because Jesus' blood was shed in your place. And this news does not change depending on your circumstances. In the middle of the night, when you're awake again with worry, when you're sat on the train on Thursday morning, when you're having a good time with friends, your status is the same. Loved by God, secure in his new covenant. Because Jesus died for you, you never have to believe the insecure lie that you're not loved by him. And Jesus says again in verse 25 that he will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until he drinks it anew in the kingdom of God. Because Jesus speaks of drinking anew in the kingdom of God, this means there is hope after death. We will be with him there in the kingdom of God, enjoying a feast forever in memory of Jesus' sacrifice for us. That is perfect eternal security. So this passage ends with Jesus singing a hymn with the disciples before heading out to the scene of his arrest. What a precious moment that would have been. Jesus and his disciples singing the heavenly Father's praises before heading out to his death. The only way that joy is at all possible is if your future eternal security is safe. What a wonderful savior we have. So Jesus sets a precedent for us here. We're to remember his death and remember it specifically during the communion meal, mirroring this meal that he had with his disciples. So on on the days when we have communion, we should examine ourselves. When you hold the bread and the wine knowing that it was God's innocent blood spilled for you, we can't help but examine ourselves. Because it was my sin, it was our sin that meant that Jesus had to die. I know as the bread and and the wine is getting passed around during communion that I don't ask the question, surely you don't mean me, Jesus. Because I know that it is me. I have failed Jesus. And though we're now in the new covenant, our hearts are still the same as, as the people who lived under the old covenant. We still break God's law, but now that the law is in our hearts, we don't just break the law, but we break God's heart when we sin and don't serve him as we should. But even when you've not served Jesus wholeheartedly, you will always hear the words, take and eat, come and drink. You will never hear words of condemnation. 
This is Jesus' blood poured out for you. Because Jesus died, you are secure in the new covenant. We are welcome at Jesus' table and we are welcomed as his friends. Your eternity is safe. Your future hope is secure. You are loved perfectly. Your sins are forgiven. Why look for security anywhere else? And therefore, because we are secure in the new covenant, we can serve Jesus fully. We can give everything to him like the woman did. Serving because we're secure is so different. It's so opposite to everything this world tells us. It's normally serve your workplace well. Serve hard, work hard, get more respect, get a pay rise in return. Put your effort in and expect rewards in return. Or even serve God and get more love in return. But when you understand this new covenant and that Jesus is the author of it and has written himself into your heart simply because he loves you, then you can rest totally secure in him. And you can serve freely because you've got nothing to prove and nothing to earn. We can serve because we're secure. We can give our lives to Jesus because he has given his life to us. Jesus commended the woman for doing what she could. He called that one act of service beautiful. And while she did what she could by pouring out that jar of perfume over Jesus, Jesus did what he could for you by pouring out his life. He poured out his life to secure your eternity. So let me ask you, knowing that your eternity is secure, what is Jesus worth to you? Is he worth more than your earthly security? Is he worth serving wholeheartedly? Is he worth everything? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you for his blood spilled for us and his body broken for us. Thank you for the new covenant that we are totally secure in the new covenant, that our future hope is safe and that we are always, always loved by you. Please would we be able to rest in you, to love you and to serve you freely because of your great love for us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Uh, We're going to sing again now, Uh, so when the band is ready, please do stand and sing.